Well, good evening, everyone. I never realized uh, just how uh, difficult it is to find a good accompanist uh, for uh, singing until uh, sort of out of the blue, I had to make a few arrangements quickly for the memorial service yesterday, uh, as well as being the speaker, I had to arrange for the person who was going to do the audio as well as set up the projector, and I am technologically challenged, so that was absolutely important. And uh, we needed a pianist, and we needed, um, uh, and we needed somebody to lead the singing. So, um, fortunately, and um, by uh, the working of the Lord, perhaps, uh, all of those people were available, but there was a very short list of one in each of those categories, <laughs> and they happened to be all available. Uh, so um, I, appreciate, I, I appreciate the accompanying to the singing even more tonight than I did uh, a week ago, I can assure you. So thank you. Uh, we have been uh, looking at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we considered this morning that uh, w this is where we come to the authority and the uh, sufficiency of Scripture uh, that focus in the verses that we have yet to get to, but uh, that are needed for a time of, uh, of uh, apostasy, a time uh, of difficulty, a time that is portrayed in the first verses of uh, 2 Timothy 3 uh, that is perhaps even more characteristic of the world than it is uh, of uh, the professing church, but in some areas we see that even the church is affected, the professing, professing believers are affected by the kinds of things <clears throat> that are recorded in verses 1 through 9 of uh, 2 Timothy 3, such as being uh, people being lovers of self, lovers of money, uh, arrogant, irreconcilable, uh, without self-control, uh, professing a form of godliness but denying its power. Uh, we looked uh, first in verses 10 through uh, 13 this morning at the example that needs to accompany, the example that needs to accompany the, uh, the faithful proclamation of the word of God. And that was uh, Paul speaking to Timothy of what Timothy had seen actually in the apostle's life as he had accompanied him uh, in missionary journeys across <clears throat> the Eastern Roman Empire. So we considered the importance of Paul's example, uh, Timothy's awareness of it, uh, the doctrinal content, uh, the behavior that's needed, uh, the goal of, uh, of the uh, teaching and uh, life of uh, the example that is being noted, uh, the character and attitudes, all of that in verse 10, we looked at the hardships that would also accompany, including the uh, persecutions and sufferings that the apostle himself had undergone uh, and 
should be uh, considered actually uh, normal or to be expected for anybody who desires to live in a way that is godly and pleasing to the Lord. And then we noted the warning that in difficult times, and those times have been in one way or another, uh, certain parts of the world, and now increasingly in our part of the world, present since the time of the Apostle Paul, that evil men and imposters, people who claim one thing but deny it by uh, what they live and perhaps what they teach, uh, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the idea of improvement is not actually to be expected in the world that we have seen since the time of the Apostle Paul. Oh yes, God has given a great revival in various places at various times, but this is exceptional, not the norm. But now we consider not only Paul's example in those verses from verse 10 to verse 13, but this evening we begin with Timothy's experience. Beginning with verse 14 of uh, 2 Timothy 3, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the sacred scriptures, writings, scriptures, the same word, really, uh, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. There is a response that Paul thinks that Timothy should have, both to Paul's example, as well as to the warning that he has given. First of all, you notice he says, continue. We could translate that word remain or abide. It is a command. I said this morning that we are not in a sprint to the finish as believers. We are in a marathon and we need to go accordingly. We need to have the good habits that will enable us to finish well. And we need to be encouraged. And Paul is doing that here with Timothy. Remain, continue, abide, and do that in what respect? Well, we see right next to that, in the things you have learned. Not only does Timothy need faithfulness on his part to continue, but he needs to be careful that he sticks with what he has learned, acquisition, what he has acquired in his uh, learning as a believer in God's school. It's, he doesn't say, I want you to feel good about yourself. 
Uh, it's okay to feel good about yourself, but be careful. That is not what we are called to as believers. We are called to a life that follows in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus as we see it in those who uh, give that example, including the Apostle Paul and including uh, other uh, men and women of Scripture. Uh, but uh, the common advice that the world will give us is not necessarily what the Scriptures teach and proclaim. It might be better to suggest a verse like 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And uh, those of you who have ever uh, worked in an Awana program uh, know what uh, this verse has to say. But let's just uh, read it for uh, a reminder. Be diligent, be diligent, Paul says to Timothy, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Learning the truth of God is not an interesting alternative to a hobby. It is not something that we do like, um, well, in the past generation, you know, collecting stamps um, or uh, paraphernalia of various, various kinds or uh, playing video games or, or something like that that is, is popular in our world today, watching sports. Uh, you name the activity that uh, competes for our attention of learning. Uh, think about Think about all the time that we give to learning things for jobs that we have to do if we have uh, a profession or career of some kind. Do we give that kind of attention to learning the scriptures, to learning what God has said? If we haven't and we don't, why not? But what is it that specifically that he had learned? Something that he had formed convictions about and become convinced of, you see in the next phrase. This is not just learning a ritual or learning uh, by rote a certain formula or, for example, so many people know the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23 and so on, and it comes out at very difficult times, and I'm sure that there is help to be found in those things at various times to people who maybe know the Lord, maybe not, I don't know, uh, but that is not Christianity as portrayed in the scriptures. What we have portrayed in the New Testament is learning what God has said in his word in all sorts of different areas, and it takes a lifetime to learn it, and it has to always be a priority with us. 
some religions say, just obey. And there's certain things you have to do. You do those things and you make a pilgrimage. That's as good as you can get. Other than, I'm not going to go there. Um, Or certain rituals. Do certain rituals, we'll be fine. No, that's not what biblical Christianity is. It's things that we are convicted and convinced of. Convictions that we hold. Why? Because God has said it and we understood it clearly as it has been given in the context of the scripture. Things that can be, we can trust. And how do we know that we can trust them? Well, number one, they're in the scriptures. We're actually not at that point yet in our passage. But also because of the clear uh, godly example of those who have presented the word to us. Such as Paul's example to Timothy in the earlier verses. We need to know who we are getting this from. From whom are we learning this? We need to pay close attention to that. The life as well as the words. And we go back to verse 10 to look at the specific details of that, and we're not going to be doing that, but do I check my personal ideas or understandings of Scripture with those who are more mature in the faith? That's a good question to ask. We look at the Word of God, but sometimes there are uh, differences of understanding of certain passages. So, as a younger person, person in the faith, do I, do I take time to learn from those who are older in the faith? But then you notice here too, the phrasing says, and that, verse 15, and that from childhood, this is really babyhood, the word that's used is from the time that you're in the cradle. Um, it's never too early to bring the Word of God to bear in the life of a child. And that, by the way, um, I understand that uh, there there seem to be uh, a a growing population in the assembly, at least uh, in some respects, so uh, let me encourage that that role is not just for the immediate parents. There may be others, such as grandparents, or uncles and aunts uh, who could be of uh, good example in this respect, helping to bring the word of God to these uh, young lives and hearts. Uh, Also Sunday school teachers uh, and maybe 
there is someone here who has that on his or her heart for the future. And if we can't do that directly, maybe praying for those who are involved in such activities. But look at the content that he says. You have known the sacred writings. Sacred writings here would simply refer to the Old Testament as Timothy grew up uh, knowing them. Uh, But eventually, that phrase would come to include all of the scripture. And uh, we know that even the Apostle Paul at times considered I believe by the leading of the Lord and the the work of the Holy Spirit in inspiring him, considered even some of his own writings to be at that level. He doesn't make a point of that uh, constantly in his letters, but occasionally you see that coming through. And certainly the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter says that specifically of Paul's letters, that they too are scripture. So the content of Uh, What we're exposed to is important. And you notice he says, uh, the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom, uh, I believe uh, uh, the King James Version says, make you wise unto salvation, uh, able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation uh, through faith which is in Christ Jesus, And of course, for the lost, which all of us start out life as, for the lost, that's the only thing. You need to get saved. For those who have gotten saved, that's the starting point. But you never lose perspective on that being sort of just the starting point, but we always keep coming back to that in, for example, the Lord's Supper. And it keeps helps to keep us with the proper perspective. Are we being faithful? As Paul says this to Timothy. And if we are being faithful, what are we being faithful to? Run across a cartoon, a couple of uh, young gals uh, talking to each other, by young, I mean younger than I am, um, uh, who are complaining about men and their, com- and, and their ability to be uh, committed, to commit to things. And one says, well, um, seem to have trouble with commitment, but they can be committed to uh, supporting the same sports team their whole life, uh, and it's not a problem. Um, to what are we committed? And as a man, I speak to men particularly, we allow ourselves to be committed to a lot of things. Are we committed to the things that matter to the Lord? But that's true for all of us too. Have we learned, are we learning what the scriptures teach? Do we actually have convictions? Have we formed convictions based on the scriptures? Or have we just inherited traditions? Are we getting enough exposure to the right things? The scriptures, the wisdom that leads to salvation. 
as just two examples here, but the content of the scriptures we're not going into specifically at this point. But now we must move on. Verse 16, all scripture, Paul continues, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, we'll come back to that word, equipped for every good work. Now, I think the King James translates that word adequate as perfect. Both actually are quite good translations of the original uh, in their own way, but we'll come back to that word as we say in a minute. But let's just go through and think about these words for uh, a minute. First of all, scripture. We speak of the Bible. We use the term the scripture or the holy scriptures, the holy writings, that's what the word scriptures means, uh, to refer to the Bible. Um, and whether you have it in electronic form or in uh, hardbound form like uh, this, um, we speak of the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, and it is that which is written and it is specifically these books, these writings, and no others that tell us directly what God has said. Nothing more, but nothing less. So you can't say, well, I don't like that particular part of Scripture. People will do that and say, I don't like that particular part of Scripture. I just think I'm going to ignore that. Can't do that. Notice that it's written. Uh, some of us struggled in school with reading. It's a challenge. But, beloved, we need to be readers. Our very own spiritual walk with the Lord depends on that. If we can't read because we're not able to, that's one thing. But if we can read and we don't read, we are letting our, sort of like Esau, selling his, his inheritance for a mess of pottage. Even if we have difficulty reading, we need to make the effort. God didn't give us a picture, although there are word pictures given throughout the scriptures. He didn't give us specifically a ritual, though there are certain, if you think about baptism and the Lord's Supper and uh, perhaps the head covering or not covering the head as being uh, rituals in a good sense that are repeated, okay. But the basic message of salvation is not a ritual. It is based on the words that God has spoken. Notice, too, that all Scripture is inspired by God. Literally, this, this is a, just one word. Don't know? 
Paul may have coined it, but he may not have coined it. Uh, but certainly, it's a very rare word, and it means God breathed. When God made physical creation, he spoke. But when he gave the scriptures, he breathed by the Holy Spirit, we might say. Um, and this reflects, these writings reflect his person and character and nature. There's a song in our, I think, in our red hymnals that uh, speaks of the Bible as standing every test we can give it, it will stand. Um, the Bible stands when all else uh, disappears. The Lord Jesus himself said those things when he was here on earth. These words will not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not. Um, God has breathed it out. He has given his thoughts to us as they reflect his, uh, his person, his nature, his character, and so they are without error. That doesn't mean we understand everything perfectly in those scriptures. And if there's a problem with the scriptures, it's because we haven't understood them correctly, not because they are somehow wrong. One of the biggest trends in evangelical uh, scholarship these days is you have otherwise reputable scholars who are arguing that, oh, this thing or that incident here, there, or the elsewhere in Scripture didn't actually occur, and so they're undermining the accuracy of the Word of God by saying that, and they're actually saying, well, yeah, but I believe the Bible's uh, reliable. They're talking out, both side, uh, out of both sides of their mouth. But that has become a major problem, not a minor problem, but a major problem in evangel amongst evangelical Christians. Something that would have been unheard of 40 years ago, 30 years ago even. It's now common. But the scripture is breathed out by God and so reflects who he is and all of his uh, attributes in one way or another. In, and if we have difficulty understanding it, we need to say it's because I don't understand it. We need to take the humble position and allow the scriptures to stand um, without being impugned, without being having doubt cast upon them. And there are plenty of things in the scripture that it's difficult to understand, by the way. So I'm not trying to make light of that. But notice also, he says, and they're not only 
spoken by God, coming from God as its source, as their source, but all Scripture is profitable. That is, useful or beneficial or advantageous. It doesn't mean profitable in the sense of, uh, you know, uh, stacking up, raking in the money. Uh, I'm not sure that anybody really would believe that, although some people do make money off the Bible, and uh, it's a shame that it does happen. But, but it's profitable, it is advantageous, beneficial for four things. First of all, for teaching. Notice how teaching and the content of what is in the scriptures comes up again and again and again in this passage. I counted about five times uh, between here and uh, chapter 4, verse 5, or between uh, chapter 3, verse 11, and chapter 4, verse 5. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is about the content of what God has said. It is not primarily about feelings, although there should be joy and peace that come to the believer. There's no question about that. But the main purpose of Christianity and the scriptures is not, do I feel good? Now, the world will tell you that that's kind of our primary reason for existence these days. Um, of course, uh, we might know better. Uh, but still, reason for the flood of anemic and counterfeit Christianities is there is not good teaching or there is false teaching. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room after he had washed the disciples' feet? He said, chapter 13, verse 17 of the Gospel of John, if you know these things, happy or blessed are you if you do them. We cannot do the things that uh, the Word of God requires of us if we don't know what there is to do. And the only way to know what there is to do is by paying heed to its teaching and then being able to take reproof, the next phrase, next word, uh, the warnings, the negative side of positive teaching is to reprove that which is false. They always go together. You don't have one without the other. You can't have all positive teaching and no negative because you've got to say, this is right, but also this is wrong. We need to keep them in balance. But for correction, uh, sometimes, you know, you've got ideas that are out there in the world that they're just, they're, they're just kind of endemic to our society, and people get saved. They don't know any better yet, but what does the scripture do? That's the next word, correction. And, and then it starts there, well, that's a wrong idea. 
it's not, it's not specifically false doctrine or something like that, but that's, that's not the right way to live or this is a, a, a wrong idea. The scripture corrects us. And then it trains us in the way that we should go. It trains us in righteousness, both practical and doctrinal, both in belief and in action and in attitude. It reinforces what is right. And that's the thought of training in righteousness. And then we have the, the word, the, the, the man of God, or the phrase, the man of God, so that the man of God may be, well, let's go that far. There's a purpose here. I, I think it's a purpose, not just a result, that the, it results that the man of God is, but it, this is the purpose of the scripture, among other things, that the man of God may be We'll get to that in a moment. But you notice the order. Be comes before do. Being comes before doing. You've got to be what, affected by what the scriptures teach before you can do what they're... It's what Jesus said in John 13, 17. If you know these things, so you have to know them so that they have effect in your being uh, so that you do things. Now, often you can't tell if you have a, uh, something that's taught and somebody, the light goes on and somebody says, oh, I haven't been doing that. I'm going to start doing that. Well, the being and the doing aren't that far separated. So they can be pretty close together. And this term, man of God, you say, well, I'm not a man and I don't, have pretensions to greatness because, you know, man of God is used of the Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's only used ever here and in 1 Timothy of Timothy. But remember, the Apostle Paul said, Timothy, you're to follow my example. That would suggest that being a man of God, if Timothy is to do that, then he's actually following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And of course, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So in one sense, all of this applies, almost all of this applies to uh, all of us as believers. It's true, you may not end up preaching from the pulpit. It might not apply to you in that sense, but there's a lot more of the scripture that applies to us, whether we're male or female, whether we're young or old, whether we are gifted in public ministry or not. Uh, there's much more of the scripture that applies to us than often we give the Lord credit for. But if we are going to be, I'm going to use the, the phrase, men and women of God, You can't have men and women of God if you don't have men and women of the book. It's just not possible. You can have men and women of the book who aren't particularly godly, but 
if it's having the desired effect that it should, as God intended it, um, it's not likely to be the case. But in one sense, all of us are spokesmen and spokeswomen for God as we represent the truth of who Christ is in our lives. To that degree, we are men and women of God. Um, I realize this is specifically to Timothy and uh, their very specific uh, roles and, and uh, tasks that Timothy was being given. Uh, but there's an application, I think, for us as well. But notice he then says in the New American Standard, it says adequate, I think uh, perfect uh, in the King James. And this is really just the word, it's an interesting word, it's not very used very often in the New Testament, it just means equal to the task. Whatever the task is that God lays out in his word, the scripture is equal to that task, will make you equal to that task. I'm not here speaking the word of God because I'm a great preacher that just uh, so wonderfully knows the scriptures. But in submitting to the will of God and the word of God, to the extent that I am submitted to that will and that word, I am equal to the task, whatever the task is. It's adequate in the sense, not of a table that is uh, set and uh, just with the tablecloth and the, the settings there uh, for a bunch of guests. It's set and all the food is there and it's ready to be eaten. That's the sense of the word. And a related word, equipped or furnished in the, new, in the King James, uh, but uh, equipped uh, for every good work. Thoroughly equipped, it would be a good way to uh, say it. Prepared for exactly, or exactly prepared for this task. Whatever the task is that God lays before the believer. You don't use a buzzsaw to carve a turkey. The appropriate tool for the appropriate task for the appropriate occasion. Every good work, not some good works. You know, some good works, you know, you, you have um, the scripture for and other good works, you just rely on people's love or something like that. No, no. Directly or indirectly, every good work that, the, that God gives the believer to do, the scripture provides the, uh, the preparation, the instruction, the training to be ready for that. Every good work. Remember, this is God speaking and saying this about his word, not 
this is something that uh, Paul is writing to Timothy as a nice gesture, sort of to make him feel good. No. This is the reality, the spiritual reality that we're dealing with. Not just for the practical, but it's also for the, uh, for the uh, instructional. Every good work, what we say privately or publicly, what we do with our time, energy, money, or thoughts, would cover all of those. What place does God's word have in my, your life, thoughts, attitudes, actions? Is it profiting? Is it benefiting others through me? Am I prepared and equal to the task? Am I even equipped? What good works am I involved in that the scripture lays out for me? Now, we don't have time to go into the servant's responses, and this is actually um, uh, very important. There is accountability that, uh, that uh, Paul uh, speaks of to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. But notice what he says. He gives a series of commands. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Patience and instruction. For the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths, stories, that is. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, literally fulfill your service. Just one, a couple of comments here. One in verse two, it says, preach the word. It doesn't say entertain with the word. It doesn't say dramatize, sing, dance, but preach the word. And it's the word, not my favorite stories or some kind of Christian self-help. Um, whether or not they are useful, it is not. But the word. It is the word that God has given. It is the word that is powerful. It is the word and the living word whom we see through the written word that causes us to understand who God is, what God is doing, and how that affects us as believers. We need to be prepared in season and out of season. Uh, and there's a reality check here as well as earlier in chapter 3. It's not that there may come some times when uh, people will, have, will not endure sound doctrine, but there will come times. That's a guarantee. Um, for sure, 
that was happening in Paul's day, it's happening in our day. People wanting to be entertained, their ears tickled rather than uh, to uh, be serious about the word. Seek and find uh, teachers for themselves that will say what I want to hear. And turn away their ears from the truth to stories. Be sober in everything, he says in verse 5. The Christian life is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death to those who are perishing as well as to those such as, I believe, ourselves in this room that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be ready for hard work, endure hardship. Be ready for hard work, self-discipline, opposition, difficulty, persecution. Communicate to the truth to those who don't know Christ. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill, complete your service. Live up to the promise that your position of privilege, my position of privilege as a believer, suggests that I have and that I should have. Lord, as we have worked through this passage, make us tremble at thy word. As we have considered the truth of what the word of God is, who has given it, we confess our own tendency to be slow to listen to that word, slow to obey. Father, this week, in the coming days, make us more diligent about our looking into the word. Make us quicker to understand, quicker to obey. Make us willing to take the time to sacrifice in order to learn its truth and then to live it out. And we pray that the effect in our lives will be that of what the Apostle Paul was communicating to Timothy, that he, that we, like Timothy, might become men and women of God who are equal to the task, prepared, equipped for every good work. For thy glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.